All right, good morning, Central Church. Doing well today? Fantastic. If you're joining us live stream today on our website or our Facebook live page, we're so glad you're joining us this morning. God bless you and all of you that are here live this morning. I am super excited about something, so, so here it is. Every year we have to add services for Easter because we continue to grow. So we're adding a fourth Sunday service on, on Easter uh, morning, but we're doing something in addition to that. So we're adding, all the service times are the same, except we're adding um, a 7.15 service. But before that, we're having a, an Easter sunrise breakfast. How cool is that? An Easter sunrise breakfast. We, we've got guys ready to cook and clean and serve, and it's going to be really fun. So if you want to get here early, how many of you have been to a, a sunrise, Easter sunrise? Sir? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like in California, you do that outside. Yeah, not here, though, right? I mean, you do it inside because you know why. Um, so great to see all of you guys this morning. So we need you to, to uh, RSVP if you think you might. Now, you guys are like, like late sleepers, so you, you might not, you know, be up for that. I don't know. But if you are, if you are, scan the QR code. We need an RSVP to get a food count, people count. So hope you guys take advantage of that. It's just great to see you today. Spring's in the air. Come on, right? Yeah, that's right. All right, take out your Bibles this morning. Turn to Psalm 42. Psalm 42, we're in a series that's called When. It's a study in the Psalms. The reason it's called When is because each individual Psalm answers the question, what do we do when we encounter certain situations in life? Today we're gonna talk about what do we do when we are spiritually dry? What do we do when we're spiritually dry? Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for the power of your spirit that's here. We pray, Father, that you would, by the Holy Spirit, open our hearts, open our minds. Lord, there's some here today that are so broken and in chaos that it's difficult to focus, difficult to think about what's being shared. I just pray, Lord, for just a few minutes of, of, of respite, just a break, that your Spirit might give life, that, that Holy Spirit, you might speak to every heart that's gathered in this place or watching us online this morning that you would make your, your word and your will known to us today, God, by your spirit, in Christ's name, amen. All right, so my friend Ben Lee, before I ran my first half marathon last October, gave me some great counsel. He, he shared several things about how to effectively run a race, and every, every single thing that Ben told me to do that, that I put into practice was gold. It, it all worked out. And one of the things he said, he said, um, when you start the race, he said, you're probably going to hydrate in the morning before the race starts. He said, when you start the race, you're, you're not going to feel like you need to, to drink water at the first few water stations. He said, you're going to feel full. You're going to be excited. Adrenaline's going to be pumping. You're going to be ready to run the race. And you're going uh, to have to, you know, force yourself to stop at those tables and get a drink. But he said, you have to do that. He said, if you don't, there's a good chance you could cramp up later in the race or get runner's fatigue. And so I took Ben's advice, and my daughter and I, when, when we ran, we forced ourselves, we actually forced ourselves to drink, because we really didn't feel like it, we didn't feel like we needed to, but we did, no cramping during the whole race, no runner's fatigue, any of that, and we finished really strong. Well, well part of Ben's message to me was we have to be intentional about hydration. We have to be intentional about it, even if we don't feel like we need it, there's still the danger that we could be dehydrated and dehydration cripples our performance in just about every area of life dehydration is crippling and there's such a thing as spiritual dehydration when we become dehydrated from god's spirit 
in our life. We're gonna talk about that a little bit. Psalm 42 is about spiritual dehydration. So we're gonna read that Psalm this morning. We're also gonna read Psalm 43 because most scholars, most biblical scholars believe that Psalm 42 and 43 were originally written as one Psalm, not, not two separate Psalms. The reasons they say that is there is identical language and phrases in Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. There's also very similar references to the temple and worship in the temple in Jerusalem. The third thing is there's, there's no superscription or subtitle for Psalm 43. In other words, they just think that Psalm 41 just ran, just kind of bled all the way into Psalm, Psalm, 40, Psalm 42, ran into Psalm 43. Now, this psalm is written uh, for the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were those uh, Israelites that were responsible for leading praise and worship at the festivals at the temple when the Israelites would gather for those festivals during the year. So they were responsible for, for playing the instruments, leading the vocals, and all of that stuff. And so um, when it says it was written, we don't know if it was written for the sons of Korah, in other words, for them to orchestrate, orchestrate praise, or if it was written by the sons of Korah. Uh, what we do know is this probably wasn't written by David. So if I reference, if I keep saying, you know, David said, just shoot me, because that's, that's not accurate. Um, it was probably the sons of Korah or another author. All right, Psalm 42, we're not going to read the whole thing, but we'll read most of it beginning in verse 1. The psalmist says, as the deer in the desert heat longs for streams of water, so I long for you, or pant after you, O God. I thirst for God, for the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Now that's a reference to going back to the temple for a celebration. Day and night I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? He doesn't seem to be around in your life. My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be, another reference to the temple. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration, temple worship. Then he says in verse 5, why am I so discouraged or why is my soul so depressed? Why is my heart so sad or in despair? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Skip down to verse 8. <clears throat> but each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me and through each night I sing his songs praying to the God who gives me life. Skip down to verse 11. Why am I so discouraged or depressed? Why is my heart so sad or in despair? <clears throat> I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again. My Savior and my God, chapter 43. Declare me innocent, O God. Defend me against these ungodly people. Rescue me from these unjust liars. For you are God, my only safe haven. <clears throat> Why have you tossed me aside? Why must I wander around in grief oppressed by my enemies? Send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them lead me to your holy mountain, a reference to Zion, Jerusalem, where the temple was, to the place where you live. There I will go to the altar of God, to God, the source of all my joy. I will praise you with my harp, O God, my God. And then chapter 43, verse 5, uses the exact same language as 42.5 and 42.11. Why am I so discouraged or depressed, why is my heart so sad or in despair? I will put my hope in God, 
I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Spiritual dehydration is a reality. And, and in taking my friend Ben Lee's advice, we have to be intentional about spiritually hydrating ourselves. So as we think about this psalm, Psalm 42 is about a, a, a follower of God that's, that's dehydrated. I, I long for you. I thirst for you just like a dehydrated deer in the summer looking for some source of water. I'm, I'm thirsty after God. And we have to be intentional. So what are some symptoms of spiritual dehydration, the psalmist tells us. What, what, what symptoms we might see in our life if we're spiritually hydrated. And the first is this, we, we lose our fire for God. We lose our fire for God. Verse two says this, I thirst for God, and then he qualifies or defines who that is, the living God. The God who is alive, the God who is not only alive, but the God who is the source of life. The God who is the one from whom all life comes. The psalmist isn't feeling alive. The, the, the psalmist isn't feeling the, the presence, the life-giving presence of God in his life. That's why he keeps looking back to that experience in the temple when he, when he felt the presence of God. It feels like he's empty. And maybe you're there today, just feeling a little spiritually empty, like, like you're not connecting with the presence of of God maybe like you have in the past. The second symptom of spiritual hydration is we don't see God in everyday life. We don't see God's activity in our everyday lives. Again, verse two. The psalmist says, when can I go and stand before him? He, he's thinking about that, that time in the temple, that festival when, when there was such enthusiasm and excitement and he, and he was in the, in the Lord's presence. But that phrase, stand before him in the Hebrew, literally, literally means see the face of God. When, when can I go again and experience the, the face, the intimacy, the nearness of God? Because he doesn't seem to be experiencing God in his everyday life. In, in fact, it seems like God's activity in his life is more of a memory than a present reality, and maybe you're there. He starts, he starts remembering, remember when we went to the temple? Remember when we saw God face to face? Remember when we had that music? Remember when God moved? And we do the same thing, don't we? Yeah, remember when God used to answer prayer? Remember when we went to that concert and it was like, man, God was so powerfully present. Remember when God did this. Remember, remember, remember. But there's nothing like God just did that. And as we go through our life, we, we don't see God and his activity in our everyday life. Maybe you're there. The third thing is we become overwhelmed with life's circumstances. Verse three. Day and night... I have only tears for my food. It's as though the, the pressure, the busyness, the chaos of life has overwhelmed the psalmist. And, and he doesn't, it, it's like the joy of God has drained out of his life. All I have is tears and emptiness. He feels like the, the, the joy that the, that the Lord once provided in his life, the life I would go so far as to say even like the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter five, the, the love, the joy, the peace 
the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the, the gentleness, the faithfulness, the, all of those fruits of the Holy Spirit, it's like I'm not experiencing those. In fact, we're probably experiencing the negative emotions of life. Like if I'm honest, I'm just really irritable. If I'm honest, I'm, I'm just angry. I'm just frustrated. If I'm honest, I'm just bitter. Like I'm hurt and I'm, I'm bitter. I'm, I'm, I'm toxic if I'm, if I'm honest. See, we can be, begin to lose that, that sense of the, the joy of God when the circumstances of life wear us out. Just grind us down. And we don't have much left inside. The last symptom is we feel, we feel mentally and emotionally depressed. We feel mentally and emotionally depressed. Verse 5. Why so downcast? Depressed, O oh my soul. Why have you become disturbed within me? When we become emotionally and mentally depressed, we lose motivation for life. We don't want to get up, up in the morning. We don't want to get out of bed in the morning. We don't want to face the day. We don't want to face people. We don't want to face pressure. We don't want to face circumstances in life. When we're mentally and emotionally depressed, we want to pull the covers over our head and not deal with things. And it's not much different with spiritual depression. With spiritual depression, we, we have no motivation for the things of God. We're not really, we don't really want to read the Bible. We really don't want to go to church. We do those things, but we kind of just go through the motions. We don't feel like praying. We know we probably should, so we throw up a little 15-second prayer before we go to work in the morning or something along those lines. There's, there's no real motivation to seek God and to do the things that God wants us to do. That's spiritual depression. The psalmist was feeling that. Why are you so depressed, oh my soul? Why are you in despair? And that's a, that's a real place to be, and I call it spiritual dehydration. But here's the good news. Not only does the psalmist reveal what the symptoms of spiritual dehydration are, but he talks about spiritual hydration. He talks about how we can hydrate our lives again spiritually. And, and the first thing is this. He says, he says we water our spiritual lives with soul coaching, with soul coaching. Sometimes we need to just say to our soul, dude, get over yourself, wheels. Come on, stop having a pity party. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Let's go. God's doing something. There's, there's hope in God. God's going to turn this thing around. And that's what the psalmist does in verse 5. Why are you so downcast, O oh my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God. Put your hope in God. For I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. He's not feeling that in the moment. He's not feeling like praising God in the moment. But he's telling his soul, hey, hey, let's go. God's going to turn this thing around. God's going to change this thing. Have hope because you will again praise him. God will do something in your life and begin to turn this thing around. And sometimes we just need to say to our soul, hey, soul, don't let disappointment govern your life. Don't, don't let failure define you today. Don't, don't let bitterness be the blanket that covers your life and that comes out of your mouth. Don't let heartbreak steal your destiny. Sometimes we need to coach up our souls a little bit. That's what the psalmist did. Come on. Let's go. Let's do this. You can, you can make this. God's going to change something in your life. As, as a high school basketball coach, most of what I did in games was coaching my players up. 
there was very, very little. There was some instruction and teaching that went on, but most of that happened in practice. We'd practice, and I would teach them what we want to do. I'd instruct them and guide them. And when we get to the game, it's mostly coaching them up. So a guy misses a few shots. I say, hey, dude, don't worry about it, man. The next one is going in. The, the next one you are going to make. Just get your rhythm. Just follow through. Just, just get your balance. Set your base. You're, it's going in next time. You coach them up. The guy makes a horrible pass, and it goes out of bounds. And you say, hey, dude, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I know you've made 12 passes in a row out of bounds. But listen, the next one is going to work. Just take two extra dribbles, get a better passing angle, and, and it's going to get in. I, I promise you. You coach them up. Or, or, if the, or if the guy just scores on him, you know, that's embarrassing. I, I, you know, I'd have to say, dude, you're a disgrace. No, I wouldn't say that, but... You coach them up. You say, listen, man, you're, you're late in the rotation. Just see it a little bit sooner. Just anticipate it. You're going to get there in time to stop, whatever. So th- sometimes you've got to coach your soul up. And that's what he does in verse 8. Listen to what he says. I'm sorry, chapter 43, verses 3 and 4. He says to God, send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them lead me to your holy mountain, to the place where you live. There I will go to the altar of God, to God, the source of all of my joy. I will praise you with my harp, O God, my God. What is the psalmist saying? Man, things are going to turn. I'm going to get back to that place. I'm going to get back to the temple. I'm going to get back to the place of praise. In fact, I'm going to take my harp, and God's going to give me a song of victory. God's going to give me a song of praise. I'm going to be back at the altar praising God for what he did in my life. See, 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 things are changing. Something's turning in God, and I believe, even though I'm not there right now, I'm coaching up my soul to say, hey, the day's coming. The day's coming. Get ready when God's going to give you a song of victory, when he's going to turn the mess into a message, when he's going to turn the test into a testimony, where he's going to turn your stupidity into a story. Come on, somebody. And you, again, are going to get your harp out, and you're going to praise God for what he's done in your life. Sometimes you just got to coach up your soul, which is what the psalmist did. The second thing is we we water our soul with corporate worship. We, We water our soul with corporate worship. Now, the festivals in Jerusalem in the temple were spectacular. Hundreds of thousands of Jews would gather for these festivals. There was music and instruments. It was incredibly powerful and memorable. And it's like the the psalmist is saying, man, I, I I just remember what that was like, that incredible gathering of God's people to worship him. Here's what he says. My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers leading a great procession to the house of God, to the temple, singing for joy and giving God thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. The power of collective worship among God's people. These feasts and festivals were amazing. I'm going to give you a little little closer look at those festivals in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 29. We're going to read a few verses from there. Here's what it says. King Hezekiah then stationed the Levites, those were the servants in the temple, at the temple of the Lord with cymbals, lyres, and harps, musical instruments for worship. He obeyed all the commands that the Lord had given to King David through Gad, the king's seer, and the prophet Nathan. The Levites then took their positions around the temple with the instruments of David, and the priests took their positions with the trumpets. Remember, hundreds of thousands of people, everybody couldn't fit in the temple. 
So there were literally thousands upon thousands of people outside of the temple and inside the temple worshiping and praising God. Then Hezekiah ordered that the burnt offering, the animal sacrifice, be placed on the altar. The altar was in the center of the temple. As the burnt offering was presented, songs of praise to the Lord were begun, accompanied by the trumpets and other instruments of David, the former king of Israel. The entire assembly worshiped the Lord as the singer sang and the trumpets blew until all the burnt offerings were finished. Look at the sequence of this. So they gather together and, and they, they offer these burnt offerings, these sacrifices for the sins of the people. And as they did, they broke out in incredible worship and praise. That, that is a foreshadowing of the cross and the modern day church. When we gather together, we, we celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God. Jesus was placed on the altar of sin. Jesus was crucified. Jesus died for us so that all of our sins could be forgiven. And when we gather together, we sing and celebrate the event of the cross, right? We sing about the cross. We sing about the blood of Jesus. We sing about the resurrection of Christ. We sing about the victory of Jesus over darkness. That's what's happening back then, and it's just a foreshadowing of what we would experience here as we sing about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us that resulted in the forgiveness of sin and new life in Christ and eternal life. Powerful picture of, of the church worshiping Christ together. Now, we, we come fast forward to the New Testament. And the New Testament says that the church, if you're a Christian, you and I, the church is called the body of Jesus. We are the body of Christ. We are the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus in the world, right? So we are the body of Jesus, but Jesus is the head of the body. And so when we, when we gather together to worship him, there's this incredible supernatural and dynamic connection that happens corporately between the body of Jesus and the head of Jesus. When we come together to worship the lamb who was slain, there's some incredibly powerful time that happens in the life of the church when we gather corporately to worship Jesus. This goes on. Then the king and everyone with him bowed down in worship. King Hezekiah and the officials ordered the Levites to praise the Lord with the Psalms written by David and by Asaph the seer. So they offered joyous praise and did what? Again, second time, bowed down. Why do you bow down? I believe as they, as they offered the sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins and they began to praise God with instruments and they began to praise God with their voices and they began to erupt in praise and celebration over what God had done in their life, I believe the power of God came into that place with such force that all they knew to do was bow. What else, what else can you do when the presence of God comes into a meeting and you recognize he's there except just bow in humility before. Have you ever been in a meeting like that? Where worship was taking place and you felt the presence of Christ so powerful that all you wanted to do, maybe you didn't or maybe you did, you just wanted to bow before him and worship. That's what's happening. And friends, I honestly believe that that's, that's what's supposed to happen every time we gather as the body of Christ to worship him. That, that his, his presence, is there's this divine connection so powerful that we just want to bow in humility before him. Let's, let's talk about how Satan got it right with COVID. He got it right. Not, not only did that virus kill people physically, but there was a long season when he kept the church, the body of Jesus Christ, from meeting together. He kept us from that, that divine 
connection. He kept us from the, the power of God that he intends for us, the refreshment of God that he intends for us when we gather as his people. There were months when we were, we were eliminated from the beauty and the power of gathering together as his people. Satan got it right, friends. Can you imagine keeping us from being together, from, from the body being joined to the head in that unique and powerful way? Now, friends, if you're watching online this morning, that, that's a wonderful opportunity for private worship and private devotion. Maybe you're with your family, but it's not corporate worship. And you and I were created for corporate worship. We were created to gather, to gather together with like-minded believers to worship Christ who was slain for the sins of the world and to experience that incredible dynamic that happens only when the body of Jesus gets together. I love what, what, what Gerald Wilson says about this. He says, the psalmist in isolation, he was writing this away from the temple by himself. The psalmist in isolation longs for God's presence and remembers how that presence was joyfully experienced in communal or community worship. The lack of such an occasion now represents the lack of divine presence that the occasion offered. He's looking back to this dynamic moment of corporate praise and celebration. Say, I wanna, I wanna go back, I don't like isolation. So let me just end by saying this, this, this point. If, if gathering together on a regular Sunday to worship God is like the rains of refreshing falling on us, then a night like reveal night tonight is like a thunderstorm. So if you're dry, if you're spiritually dehydrated, get here tonight at six o'clock and let the, the thunderstorm of God bring refreshing to your soul. There is something about corporate worship that refreshes and hydrates our spiritual lives. The last thing is we water our spiritual lives with God's truth. Not only with coaching up our soul, not only with corporate worship, but with God's, with God's truth. So remember, the Psalms were intended to be prayed out loud or sung out loud. Sometimes you'll see the heading of the psalm for the choir director. In other words, this was supposed to be sung. It wasn't just to be read without saying anything, either sung or prayed. And that's what the psalmist does in verse eight. This is what the psalmist is saying. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. God is going to send his blessing that I will see his covenant love in my life and, and his song will be with me in the night. He's going to restore my joy. The psalmist is declaring this truth over his life. Remember, it was meant to be sung or prayed. So the psalmist is certainly writing it for everybody that was gonna read it after him, but he's also writing it for himself. And I think he was probably just declaring that. God is going to command his light in my life in the daytime, his blessing, and he's gonna fill my heart with joy in the night. This is coming. This is what God intends for me, speaking the promise of God over his life. Now, scripture says that God's word is like rain that refreshes the earth. Here's what Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says. The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. What does it produce? They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. Then he says, 
It's the same with my word. God says, the rain and the snow falls from heaven, waters the earth, and produces life. And so it's it's the same thing with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. The declared truth of God brings life. It brings refreshment like rain. It brings growth. If you are spiritually dehydrated today, you need to refresh yourself with God's truth. Now, Psalm 1, which was the very first psalm we started with, says this in verses 2 and 3. He said, they, meaning the righteous or the wise, delight in the law of the Lord. That's the word of God, the scriptures. They delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it continually, day and night. They are like trees, those who meditate on the word of God continually. They are like trees planted along a riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. He is describing a a hydrated tree. Why is it hydrated? Because it's by the river. It's sending its roots down. It's constantly drawing water, hydration, from the river. What is the river in that text? It's God's word. We know that. Those who meditate on the law of God, like the tree that's planted by the stream, is constantly absorbing the water from the river. The water is God's truth. But what is meditation? When, when, when we think of meditation, don't we think of a silent exercise? Don't, don't we think of sitting and closing your eyes and being still and, and going over something, meditating, thinking about something in your mind? Well, that may be a form of meditation, but that's not the Jewish concept of meditation. The Jewish concept of meditation is that you you speak out loud the scriptures so that you hear them, you rehearse them by speaking them out loud over and over so that you memorize them and learn them. It's not just reading it silently. So Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, he says, this book of the law, God's word, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. In other words, it needs to stay in your mouth. Then you should meditate it on it day and night to prove, proving to, to do everything according to, to what's written so you can prosper and be successful. This book of the law needs to stay in your mouth. In other words, you need to read it and declare it. That's what meditation is, is, is speaking out loud, thinking, hearing, going over the word of God over and over in your life. And when we meditate on God's word, we are like trees that get hydrated. When the word of God comes into our lives and we hear the word over and over, it brings refreshment and hydration to our souls that are dry. So I would encourage you, friends, when you, when you read the Psalms, read through them, and if, it's a, if it seems like a prayer, pray it out loud. Pray through the Psalms out loud. Let, let the declaration of God's truth refresh your soul. Sing, sing worship songs that declare God's truth about the cross, about the resurrection, about the, sing those songs out loud and allow God to refresh your soul. Get, get yourself constantly under people that are teaching and preaching God's word so you can, you can hear the declared truth of God and it can, it can bring refreshment to your soul. So where are you today? Are you spiritually dehydrated? Do you see, do you see any of the symptoms of spiritual hydration, dehydration in your life? And what are you going to do about it if you do? So if you're here this morning and you are, you are spiritually dry, you, you want the, the rain of God to come in your life and renew and refresh you, I want to pray for you. And if that's you today, I just want you to stand.
If you want the, the renewal of God's spirit in your life, you feel spiritually dehydrated, just stand up. Go ahead. Thank you, Lord. You can stand while I'm praying because I'm a little bit amazed, not that people are standing, but that people aren't. You can stand as I pray. Let's, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we, we admit that there, there are symptoms in our life of spiritual dryness. Whether, whether joy's been drained from our hearts, whether we've become irritable and bitter, whether we don't see you in our everyday life, whether we've lost enthusiasm and passion whether we're not motivated whatever it is God the Holy Spirit would you fall on these hearts would you come now with the refreshing rains of your presence upon your people Lord some are, are just like thirsty dry ground wanting to absorb the water of your rain in their hearts sweet Holy Spirit come Spirit of God fall on our lives. Renew, refresh, revitalize, and hydrate us with your Spirit. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen.